0: Welcome to The Breadwinners, the podcast about the never-ending hustle and its impact on all aspects of our lives. We're interested in what it takes to keep everything going. This podcast is about women, working, money, and family. We consider the research, talk to experts, and share our takes on what we're learning every day about breadwinning. I'm Jennifer Owens. I write about working, wellness, and women, and founded the Working Mother Research Institute. And most days, I'm joined by my co-host, Raquel Ellison. Today, we're back for a special series talking to guests about the challenges facing the sandwich generation, meaning those of us juggling kids, parents, and careers all at the same time. Our guest today knows this too. Deborah Owens, thank you so much for sharing your sandwich expertise with us today. Well,
1: it's really a pleasure to be here.
0: Oh, we are going to get into it. So, you are an author and a wealth coach, and you you know, started your career in the financial and investment world. And so I thought we could start right there. Like, what brought you to it? What did you find once you were there? And then what did you do with that knowledge? Oh, uh,
1: that's great. Uh, I, the, the truth is that the way that I entered the financial services industry was really a fluke. Really? I had a friend who So let me start with my mom. So my mother would always be upset with me because I, prior to going in the financial services industry, I was in retail management. And so often every Christmas, every major holiday, I was working. And so one day my mother flippantly said, you know, why don't you get a nine to five job so you can spend some time with the family? Wow. And I thought (laughs) about it and I said, you know what? She's right. And so I just happened to have, my sister had a friend and she knew someone that worked for Merle Lynch. And she says, Hey, I know this guy, you should just go and interview with him. And so I did. And at the time, the only job they had was as the receptionist. And I tell you, when I went in those, you know, wood grained uh, yeah. marble Stainly, board, yes, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, right outside of, I, I'm from Detroit. So this was in Dearborn, Michigan, Ford country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was just fascinated and I took it. And after about six weeks, the manager, the branch manager came out and said, you know, it's clear you're overqualified for this job. <laughs> you want to get your broker's license? And I I did. But I, you know, at the time, so I got a promotion to sales assistant. And so I had three brokers That I was responsible for back then. We actually, I'm dating myself, but we wrote in a ledger what the trades (laughs) of the day, the stock trades. And uh, and so (laughs) I studied, you know, I studied and I passed my exam. And then uh, after about a year really apprenticing with who was probably the only African American female uh, account executive at the time, went on to a smaller firm as a broker and then was recruited by Fidelity where I spent Fidelity investments where I spent most of my
0: career. Ah, okay. And so how was that career?
1: <laughs> oh, you know what? I had a great I you I, I didn't realize at the time what a phenomenal company Fidelity was. Now you look at it's a you know probably the largest global financial services institution today managing more assets I'm sure they're they're top one or two but they were fabulous because at the time I started it was as a startup they had just bought a discount Damn. brokerage firm and we were just you know people were throwing money in the door you know the Magellan fund and I I went from cold calling to walking in the door and there being (laughs) $50,000 checks to put in the Magellan Fund. So uh, anyway, I then went into uh, uh, management and became a a branch manager, vice president of the retail investor centers you see now, and then managed the West Coast. Uh, And and so it was a fabulous, fabulous career. And even during uh, my career with Fidelity, I had a love for demystifying Yeah. The financial world, uh, certainly from my perspective, no one in my uh, family had ever invested in stock. And so, you know, when I, that I can remember wondering how, why, why don't I know about the investment world? And Mm -hmm. so I wanted to tell everybody, it was sort of like, you know, religion where you get saved and you want everybody to
0: be saved too. Look what I found out, people. Yes, yes.
1: And so that's really what took me on my path. I had started having children and I wanted some flexibility. My husband was a television journalist and so he had a very demanding career. And Mm -hmm. I kind of started consulting on the side and doing workshops for organizations. And that really is the genesis for what Wealthy U is today.
0: And so we haven't mentioned it yet. So tell me about Wealthy U. So Wealthy
1: U is a financial wellness company and we create financial education and investment education programs on multimedia platforms. So we have two sides to Wealthy U. One where we actually go into organizations and companies and provide financial wellness to their employees because uh, oftentimes what is happening is people are not fully taking advantage of their retirement accounts or making Mm. the types of contributions that are going to have them be more prepared at retirement. And so we kind of do a basic overview of investing. We call it nickel and dime your way to wealth uh, and other topics because we customize them. And then we have a whole community we have group coaching programs. We focus primarily on women, and because women have some unique challenges, as you can imagine, and women of color in particular. So, so many of the people in our wealthy you coaching programs are what I call first generation investors, like I was.
0: Yeah. Yep. Well, and so what is the state of like women and investing? Are we in the market as a as a gender, especially well, women of color?
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know what the what we've seen in just the past decade is more and more women are investing. However, for women of color and Black women in particular, only thirty five percent of households had, headed by African American women have individual stock investments. So I'm not talking about retirement plans. Your four hundred one k.
0: Yeah, Okay, that's correct.
1: And in in addition to that, if you look at the amount of so much of what we focus in uh, on wealthy U.S. financial well-being and financial independence and that point at which you no longer have to work because you would have created enough assets for those investments to create an income from you and I don't for you. And so I don't even like to say retirement because I think that uh, you know, we when Social Security was invented, we died at sixty-five, right? So, yeah, right. I mean, they really didn't anticipate that we would live thirty years beyond that. And so, what I what we really t- try to do at Wealthy U is create a sense of urgency around making sure you're prepared. And the mm-hmm. fact is, if you look at households, Black and Latina households have an average of in retirement savings versus $80,000 for their white counterparts. And so what's really, really important is to close that gap. But the other thing we realized too, Jennifer, and why I created Wealthy You, that so much of that gap is a knowledge gap. And because people are like, have a, particularly if you look at the tendency of African-American investors Uh, typically they have more in what are called guaranteed types of investments, right? That stable value fund. Uh, There is also a tendency to invest in insurance products that have a guaranteed rate. And what we know in the past decade is that interest rates have been really, really low. And so as a result, their funds are not compounding at the, you know, average annual return on the S&P for the past uh, 20 years now is about, uh, now based on this most recent performance in the last couple of years is about 15%. So you can just imagine why that gap is so wide.
0: Right, right. I I have a savings account from a while ago and I swear it was on Ally. I'll shout out to Ally, but it started at 1% interest, it was just a place to put a chunk of funds that I had and I wanted to be able to draw out. And I think it's now down to like 0.03% interest. Like every time they send me a note, it's, um, yeah, the interest rate's going down. Like
1: <laughs> I know. So it's sort of like the taxes due are more than the interest yes. due. <laughs> you even earned. Yeah. And, and, you know, so so that really is the goal for, uh, you know, women of color, women, women of color, to really, uh, what we have found is that the more your knowledge grows about investing and the more experience you have, the more your confidence grows. And so then your, you know, your, your risk tolerance increases. And that really is the goal through Wealthy You is to, Basically, we teach you how to understand the financial markets, how to analyze and research your investments through your retirement plan, as well as individual stocks, because we really believe that people that that you should be an active investor and not a passive investor. But I'm not wow. saying active in terms of you trading frequently or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, like,
0: me, you know, I, I'm saying spending, I'm becoming a day trader. That's the only way. <laughs> no, no. What I'm saying, active
1: and engaged in how your funds are being managed. It's so important.
0: Well, I think a lot of us are in the market to start through our 401ks or 403bs. And so if we start there, like, how, what should we be looking at to make sure? That that money is making the money it should be making.
1: Oh, I love that question because uh, it's often after a year in wealthy you that people are like, "Oh my gosh, I didn't even know." And right. so, really, what you as an uh, individual, you know, investing through your four hundred one k, you should be looking at how what the averages are of those investments, and typically what the index is. Uh, returning, and your investments should be aligned with that. So, for example, if you're in a large S and P 500 index fund with large companies, then your return should be average of whatever that index is. Or, it, 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 and, and even if you're not, it's not an index fund. If it's a large growth fund, because the whole uh, premise of an active growth fund is that they would outperform the index, right? And so you want to really look at the benchmark for the type of investments that you have, whether it's mutual funds that are invested in large company stocks, mutual funds that are invested in medium-sized companies, and all of them have corresponding indexes that show you what the average should be, and that's Mm -hmm. what your investments should be returning. And so what I find oftentimes is that You know, people kind of either opted into what are target date funds or life cycle funds where you just pick the date you're going to retire and this kind of robo algorithm picks it for you. And when you begin to look underneath the hood, if you will, at how your underlying investments, because all they are are fund of funds. And so they'll have a large cap, a medium cap, an international fund. Sometimes you look in those funds and many of those funds aren't performing very well.
0: Yeah, and you kind of set it and forget it when you were like 40 and now you're 50 and you're like, hey, hey, wait, what's been happening? <laughs> That's
1: exactly right. That's exactly, but you know what? Here's what one of the other things that I find fascinating, Jennifer, and that is risk aversion has uh, it, it is, is intriguing in that Sometimes we don't look, as long as we pull open our statements and we haven't lost money, we're happy. But we're so focused on not losing that we're not really uh, focused on really growing our investments.
0: Yes. And even to go back a step, because you said something to me when we first spoke that I just think is so such a strong statement, is that you can't save your way to wealth. Yes, it's impossible. Right.
1: And, you know, if you think about it, it's sort of counterintuitive. I mean, so many people feel like I'm a good saver. Right. I'm frugal. I'm not a spendthrift. And yet you're looking around and you're you're wondering, it's like, how come I'm not further ahead? Well, the truth is that for the past decades, monetary policy has been to keep interest rates low to stimulate the economy. And every time we go into any type of uh, economic downturn, that is kind of the lever of choice. And so as a result, we've seen interest rates, you know, lower than they've ever been. you know, I keep saying, can they go any lower? And now I'm thinking we could be in a negative interest rate environment if we're not... Uh, comfortable, and that's great if you're financing a home or you, right. you know, on the financing side. But for people who are savers, basically, they've earned less than one percent, one to two percent on fixed income investments in the past few years. If you look at the decade, at a decade, certainly mm-hmm. it's been below five percent, and so it just takes your money. Come, just using the rule of seventy-two, right? The rule of seventy-two says divide your interest rate into the number of 72 and it'll tell you how long it'll take your money to double. Well, you know, you look at the average annual return on like the S&P 500.
0: By <laughs> 0.03% savings account, it's going to take a little while. <laughs> it's going to take
1: a lifetime, yeah. right? Real, literally at 1%, it would take you 72 years for your money to double. Right. And so that is the point that we make in wealthy you, and that is, we call them your, your opportunity levers, right? Like all of us have them, and sometimes they're different. I mean, you could be working for an employer, and they have a, a, you know, a breadth, a plethora of investments to choose from. Right. Sometimes you could be working for some of these government agencies, and you may not, so you might not have as many choices. Mm-hmm. Some people have employee stock option programs. Some are able to take advantage of health savings account, HSAs, which allow you to defer your money. And so it's really helping people understand what their unique opportunity is and then really pull it and accelerate your growth so that you can close whatever whatever, uh, gap you have uh, toward financial independence.
0: And I think that one of the thoughts, you know, between us women, you know, it seems, you know, we're always serving others. It's, it's our lot in life and we love it. You know, it's it's kind of what we're born to do. I'm sure men care a lot about their families too, but just between us women thinking about the stuff of like, oh, it's me, me, me can be off-putting in our own head. It's an internal conversation that's like, well, but, but what about the kids and what about the thing? And, and I think I'm interested in, framing it in you're setting up like generational wealth. If you could think about looking out for yourself as a way to serve those around you, isn't that what we all are born to do? And it's exactly why I wrote
1: the book, A Purse of Your Own, an easy guide to financial security to really challenge the societal norms that really validate women. Putting themselves in financial jeopardy. Now, that may sound harsh, but I'm dead serious. Right. It's
0: like, well, but the tuition bill is due and that must happen first. Or my mom needs help and that must happen first. And it's like, you know. The best thing you can do is not be a
1: burden on your children. Yes. When you are no longer working. And so, in order to do that, what's important is that you give from a full cup that's overflowing and not empty. And what that really requires, particularly in the society that women, uh, we find ourselves in, it really requires you having the, the unique ability to say no nicely. And that is, I really appreciate your thinking, I can do this for you, however I'm already committed. <laughs>
0: That is the nicest no I think I've ever heard.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And the reason, but here's the secret, that in order for you to be able to align with that value, you have had to have already made some commitments to yourself. And so that means that you really looked at where you want to be. What is it going to take for you to achieve financial independence and not be a burden on your children? And then, what it will allow you to do is stop being we are as women can be enablers, and it's this you know, I often ask women that I'm coaching, you know, I've had women paying you know, giving half of their pension check thirty five hundred dollars to their daughter who's thirty five because she she hasn't quite found herself, and I'm like, you are not helping her, yeah, you are enabling her, and I had another uh woman say this to me, and I thought it was just so appropriate. And it's that it's arrested development. When you rob your children or any family member or friend from coming to terms with whatever situation they're in, particularly in financial situations, you are not helping them. They're going to find themselves in that situation again. And so the best thing that you can do is really help them to identify, help them to figure out and create a strategy for it, getting out of it without it involving you having to do something you know monetarily you know sometimes it's even emotionally it's important for us to guard our mental health as well because if you look at the statistics on women and our health so much of the stress that we acquire has nothing to do with choices that we've made on our own <laughs> They're,
0: right. the, they're they're the, the people oh, yes. around us. Right, for sure. I just had this conversation with my beloved stepmom who is newly widowed and is helping my niece and nephew and much beloved, much beloved. And I said, but now I'm going to give you this out. You're going to say now that all these things have to run through me and I'm going to be the bad guy.
1: <laughs> like, you know, that's exactly what I am as a wealth coach. I tell right? them, yeah, and I've had even um, some of our members say, oh my gosh, they just can't stand you because my <laughs> purse is shut now and they hold you responsible. And I'm like, oh, I wear that with the badge. Yeah, I wear that with pride.
0: I, that's I said, and I, I'm going to, I had just come up with this when we were, because t- she helped and it was necessary and it's right, but I keep saying you know, she's a relatively young woman in my mind. Like, she has a long, happy life that I want her to have. Everything that she needs and the like. And if you keep cutting checks for people, it's not going to be there for you. And, I, I said, and, and in I, my I, guest room I, is a is a bunk bed in my my son's room, so that'll be where you end up. <laughs> and that's exactly right, and that's not a good retirement plan, right? No.
1: <laughs> for her or for you. And what I would also so say. Jennifer is the the real when you come to terms with that actually you are helping people when you provide them with the tools that they need you know my own children yeah. they said to me, I was pretty tough as a parent because I had very liberal parents, and whenever I didn't want to do something, oh that's okay, you know you can do this right and so uh-huh. as I got older, I really you know, I was like, wow, this isn't working out too well because I'm not finishing anything. (laughs) And so I began to think about how I would be with my own children. And so, you know, funny story, my kids wanted to join swim team. And I said, oh, okay, that's great. But if I'm going to get up every morning, guess what? You can't quit. And they were like, oh, sure, I'm not going to (laughs) quit. And so literally when my daughter, Olivia, graduated from swim team, the announcer said, and Olivia Owens, 14 years on swim team, and those parents <gasps> all looked at me like, Are you crazy? You were here. I was here every day. I was writing ribbons, but I wanted them to understand that there is real value in seeing it through. It. Yeah. Seeing it through. Absolutely.
0: Well, That you know, um, that's funny because I did the same thing with my daughter in middle school band. That was three tough years, but uh, she wrote a college essay on perseverance, and now she's starting college. So (laughs) (laughs) she got that was her ribbon. I think was the perseverance essay. So, (laughs) uh, (laughs) so when in talking about generational wealth, and I you know like, sure I want to set it up that I'm good for my kids not to have to worry about me. And that also that I can make enough wealth that I can pay for their college, you know, the near term and the future term. But looking at the other direction, like with our parents, should we be investigating where their monies are? I, I think the answer is yes. But I like or are do the do you get to a point where they're set it and forget it? I, you know, with their investments.
1: No, I think that, you know, in terms of legacy wealth, what what you'll see is that elder abuse, financial elder uh, abuse is awful, right? And so again, you cannot delegate that responsibility to anyone. And so what will happen, you know, what is very, very important is that you have an annual money meeting, I believe, with your parents. I mean, I ended up as Guardian and conservator of both of my parents' finances, and it was. And as I look back at it, it was a good thing that I did because what I what I had assumed that my other siblings, because I'm the youngest, might be better in that role. What I realize now is I was exactly the right person to do so. Right. Oh, that's great. And uh, oh, and then by the way, somehow my father had payday loans, and he had plenty of money in the bank. Right. So why did he do that? People taking advantage of. OK,
0: yeah,
1: they went into some store and bought some bedroom set and they wanted a new bedroom set and they looked up and they had money in the bank. This bedroom set was not near what they paid for it, and the interest rate on it
0: was egregious. Retail interest rates, right. Oh so I had yeah. to
1: ra- unravel all of that. And so that's why it's even more critical to have those parents points. age yep. that you get engaged.
0: I love it. I mean that thank you. You're you're empowering me to have this conversation that I you can tell I'm dragging my feet on. So yes, yes. that will be my next to-do item. So thank you.
1: <laughs> my pleasure. I
0: probably um, yes. <laughs> well. Thank you so much for joining us on the Breadwinners. I encourage you to email us anytime at thebreadwinnerspod at gmail.com or visit us at thebreadwinnerspodcast.com. Please remember to subscribe and to rate and review us. It really helps us grow. And until next week, keep hustling.